house of the Lord this morning. I tell you what, this is a powerful house. And this is a powerful gathering. And I keep telling you that every time I see you, I can't tell you how powerful you are. I can't tell you enough how powerful you are. Because I don't think you know it yet. I want you to know that you're just as powerful after the service is over as you are during the service. That you don't have to go back home to your weakness. That you don't have to go back home to the battle that the enemy wants to lock you up in. And convince you that this is life. The enemy wants to convince you that this is your thorn in the flesh. Let me just set you straight. You don't need one. And so I'm very, very thankful to be with you uh, this morning. And I bring you greetings from my spiritual father, Pastor Robert Daniels. And uh, he still brags about all of you. And he's, he, he loves all of you so much. And uh, he longed to be here with us. Uh, but next time, we'll bring him back. Uh, but he's, he's, I've been speaking to him every morning uh, through FaceTime. And uh, just letting him know how you're doing. Uh, and he's just very, very pleased that you're walking in the truth. I want to uh, get right to the message this morning. I want to speak to you about the spirit of Antichrist. I want to speak to you about overcoming the spirit of Antichrist. And I want to start by saying you have overcome the spirit of Antichrist. But you got to know it. And you have to know how to walk in victory over the spirit of Antichrist and understand how subtly the spirit of Antichrist manifests and the purpose for which he comes. I want us to pray for just a moment, and then I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to a couple places. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would come. That you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that you would lift us up and stand us in our place. Lord, if we don't stand in the place where you have established us, not only do things overtake our lives that were never intended to overtake us, but things overtake cities and governments and nations that were never intended to succeed. But God, when we stand in our place when we recognize that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, when we determine that we're going to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, when we learn to stand in our place, then we learn that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And so, Father, I speak your blessing over this gathering, and I pray that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would be granted to us this morning. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened today. Give us not only wisdom, but give us clarity so that we know what to do with it. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. First John chapter 2, verse 22 says, Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Later in 2 John chapter 1, verse 7, John says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. The most prominent passage in which John speaks of the spirit of Antichrist is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 and following. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, it sounds like there's a lot of different kinds of spirits, right? But actually, what John is getting ready to tell us is that there's only two kinds of spirits. The spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. There's no in-between. There's no spiritual DMZ. There's the spirit of Christ 
and the spirit of Antichrist, the first thing we need to understand is that if you're battling any type of demonic oppression whatsoever, it is an Antichrist spirit. There's no such thing as a non-Antichrist demonic spirit. And there's a very easy way to distinguish between the two. 1 John 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You know, the moment I start talking about Antichrist, the first thing people think of is the book of Revelation. They think I'm going to talk about the end times or the last days or some enigmatic antichrist figure who one day in the future is going to rise up and exert dominance and deception over the world. Okay, yeah, that's all well and good, but there's a spirit of antichrist that you're battling today. I want to talk to you not about sometime way in the future and about theories of whether we're going to be here or whether we're not going to be here and whether we're going to have to go through the tribulation, let me tell you something. The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. He is Antichrist, which means he is against Christ. He hates Christ and wants to destroy him. But there's something very key in this passage that we most often miss. What marks the spirit of Antichrist is that he denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He denies the the doctrine of the incarnation. He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he arose again from the grave. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The spirit of Antichrist denies all that. Now, now before you, before you come to the conclusion that the spirit of Antichrist is simply a theological phenomenon, let me tell you that the devil could, does not care about your theology. He doesn't care what you believe. Notice he doesn't deny that Jesus exists. He's not that stupid. He denies that he came in the flesh. Satan doesn't care what you believe about Jesus Christ as long as you believe it's all up in heaven somewhere. But the minute you start believing that it manifested in the flesh, the minute you start bringing it down and manifesting it in the physical realm, now the devil's got a problem. As he can be, you can believe he's powerful as long as you keep that power up in heaven at the right hand of God and it has nothing to do with your life. You can believe he's strong as long as you keep believing you're weak. You can believe he's rich as long as you keep believing you're poor. You can keep believing he has power over all things as long as you keep believing you got power over nothing. He denies that he manifested in the flesh. He wants you to believe that he's some ethereal spiritual being in the heavens above. When in the resurrection, he said, look, I've got flesh and bone. Touch me. Does a spirit have flesh and bone? This is the real thing. It's not just spiritual, but it manifested. And the spirit of the Antichrist doesn't just attack Christ, but attacks his manifestation. Satan is not stupid enough. To do a full-on, full-frontal attack on heaven. You never heard of him saying, I'm going to get all my demons together. We're going to attack heaven. Get your weapons ready. He's actually not after Jesus. So he wants to destroy Jesus. He knows he can't destroy Jesus. He wants to destroy you. And that's why he's called the Antichrist, not the Anti-Lord. 
He's not after his authority. He's after his Christhood. The word Christ in the Greek, Christos, is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is where we get the word Messiah from. He's after his messianic ministry. And his messianic ministry is his death and burial and resurrection. He comes after the place where he died on the cross to save you from your sins. If he didn't manifest in the flesh, then he didn't bear your suffering. If he didn't manifest in the flesh, he wasn't wounded for your transgressions. He wasn't bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was never upon him, and he has no wounds by which to heal you. If he didn't manifest in the flesh, you're still in your sin. If he didn't manifest in the flesh, then you got to battle the devil for the rest of your life, and you got to battle him in your own power. If he didn't manifest in the flesh, he didn't destroy the works of the devil. But John says it over and over again. He manifested. He started John 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we've seen, which we've heard, and our hands have handled. The life manifested, and we saw and heard that eternal life, which was with the Father from the beginning, but manifested to us. These things which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that you might have fellowship with us, but surely our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He said, for this reason, the Son of God made was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. He manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He saw the devil attacking us in the physical realm. And so he manifested in the physical realm at the very place where the devil attacks us and he destroyed the work of the devil. So you can understand why the devil wants to convince you he never manifested. Now there's a historical background to this concept. There was this group called the Gnostics in the first century. Second century, first, second, third century. These Gnostics, they were pseudo-Platonists, Neoplatonists. You know what Plato said? Plato said the material realm is inherently evil, but the spiritual realm is inherently good. So these Gnostics, they Christianized Plato. And they took when Paul talked about the flesh and the spirit... And they put a platonic grid over that teaching so that what they made Paul say is that we're not to dwell in the flesh, meaning the natural, physical, material world, but we're to dwell in the spirit, which to Plato is this invisible world of forms. You know what the Gnostics said? They said, my spirit is holy, but my body's inherently evil. So why try to be holy? If I have a little fornication, that's just the body doing what it does. There's no way to sanctify the body. And how did they substantiate this teaching? They said, well, if matter is inherently evil, there's no way God became man. There's no way God became matter. So there was a group of them called the docetics. The word doseo in the Greek means to seem. And they taught that Jesus did not manifest in a body. He only seemed to be human. Let me tell you something. If he only seemed to be human, then he only seemed to save you. And you're only seemingly delivered. You just seem to be free. And you seem to have victory. And, and you seem to have breakthrough and deliverance in your life. And John said, this is the spirit of Antichrist. He said, this is the worst form of demonic spirit. Why? Because that deception will keep you in the place of bondage and keep you out of the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, the spirit of Antichrist does not simply attack the theological postulate that Jesus manifested in the flesh. He attacks every ramification that comes from it. By his wounds, we are healed. The spirit of Antichrist comes and says, don't bother yourself with that healing stuff. Just accept sickness. Just accept that it's part of life. You know, pray the, pray the, the serenity prayer. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things that I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. The devil is a liar. Lord, grant me the faith to believe you to change the things that I cannot change. Grant me the boldness to change the things by your power that I have been anointed to change. And grant me the wisdom not to come into agreement with anything that is outside of the covenant. 
We agree with stuff. God came to Abraham and said, in blessing, I'll bless you. And in multiplying, I'll multiply you. I'll make your descendants like the sands of the sea, like the stars of the sky, so that if anyone could number the stars, then Abraham's children could be numbered. And Abraham said, okay. And God said, you're righteous. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know what a credit is? It was credited to him. God said, give me your ATM card. I'm not charging you. I'm crediting your account. What a transaction is that? You go to the store and you pick out something expensive, take it to the counter. They say, not only am I going to give you this expensive thing, but I'm going to credit your account the cost of it. God says, Abraham, I'm going to do all of this to you. I'm going to give you all of this. And Abraham says, I believe you. And God says, oh. You're righteous. Why? Because you came into agreement with the covenant. We tend to come into agreement with all kinds of stuff that's outside of the covenant. We come into agreement with being diminished. Why? Because we begin to think that we're sons of Job instead of sons of Abraham. Job lost everything and he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But Abraham heard that his nephew Lot and all of his possessions were carried away. He called out the 318 men who were born in his household, trained for war and said, arm yourself. Abraham does not decrease. With 318 men, he went to battle against five kings. He wasn't overwhelmed by the immensity of the army that had carried off his possessions. He said, I don't care how big they are. Abraham is in covenant and I cannot agree with anything that's outside of the covenant. (laughs) Abraham, you can't take on this huge army. Those are five kings in their armies. Listen, I don't see anything in the covenant about my nephew being carried off. I can't agree with it. The spirit of the Antichrist wants to bring you into agreement with things that are outside of the covenant. I can't agree with sickness. I will fight it to the day I die. Why? Because it's not in the covenant. I don't see anything in the covenant about me dying of sickness. What we don't realize is that when we disagree with the covenant, when we agree with something outside of the covenant, we disagree with the covenant. We say, God, it was a nice try. God, I see your heart. I know when you said you'd forgive me all my iniquities and heal all of my diseases. I know, you know, I know what was in your heart. You were, you were, you know, you were reaching for me, but you kind of fell short of that. So I'm just going to agree with this thing. No. Do you know that creation is looking at you? Longing for you to be revealed? It says that the earnest expectation of creation longs for the manifestation of the sons of God. Why? So that creation itself can enter into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. The problem is that creation is looking at the sons of God, but not seeing glorious liberty, but seeing bondage. And creation can't enter into your glorious liberty as long as you're walking in bondage. You got to give creation a good example. You want to talk about living green? It's not about recycling cans, although I do think we should. But there is no recycling program that has the power to renew the face of the earth but the manifest sons of God walking in the glorious liberty of the sons of God. You want to live in, in you want to live green? Make a decision that you're not going to be overpowered by that spirit of lust anymore. Creation can't get free as long as I'm walking in that bondage. You need to start thinking that creation is looking for you to walk in glorious liberty so it can get free too. Mm. 
Forget about your carbon footprint. I'm talking about your deception footprint. The spirit of the Antichrist had worked so subtly on the people of God that it causes us to come into agreement with things that are contrary to the covenant. And it causes us to begin to agree with the spirit of Antichrist and it, and it brings us inadvertently into disagreement with the spirit of Christ. Now, this has to be corrected in the body of Christ because there's so much weakness theology. There's so much weakness theology that has not been properly balanced with the theology of strength. And in actuality, there's no balance between strength and weakness in the New Testament thought concerning the life of the believer. It is overcome by strength. We look at passages of scripture like John 15, 5, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me. And we want to meditate on that. Apart from him. I can do nothing. I can meditate on that for weeks and years. Only problem is it doesn't apply to me because I'm not apart from him. Why are you meditating on what? When you get apart from him, then meditate on that. But he told me that I have the spirit of truth who abides with me forever. He said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So why do I think I'm apart from him? Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's true. It's always true. As soon as I get apart from him, it begins to apply to me. How about Colossians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength apart from him. I can do nothing. That one doesn't apply, but through Christ, I can do all things. That one always applies. So why are you constantly saying I can't? Yesterday morning, I called pastor Daniels. I FaceTime with him and he said, Benjamin, what are you praying for and believing God to do during this sabbatical in your life and your wife's life? And I said, you know, my wife senses it, and I sense it that there's, there's a dema- the divine mandate over my life to begin to write. i got to write books. i got to put stuff in writing and give it to the lineage and give it to the body of Christ. My sons and daughters are crying out. And they're crying out for greater clarity. I said, but I was damaged by the whole Ph.D. process. No, I'm serious. That's not a joke. It was painful. When I was working on my dissertation for two and a half years, I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote hundreds of pages. And everything that I wrote was torn up, crossed out, spit on, and sent back to me. It was painful. By the end of that process, I was sitting at my desk, and every time I sat down to write, I would be overcome by anxiety and fear. (laughs) Trepidation. And I'd have to fight for some confidence. And I'd finish the submission. I go, I'm going to send it. No, it's terrible. No, I think it's good. No, this is horrible. And I'm fighting with ambivalence. And finally, I'd send it in. And he'd send it back and say, this is rubbish. Doesn't say anything. And so I go through the whole process again. Two and a half years of that. And now, I told my spiritual father yesterday, I said, every time I sit down to write something, I feel all that anxiety like I'm still in the program. I said, I can sit and talk till I'm blue in the face. I can preach on it for hours. But when I sit down to write it, I'm attacked by it. And I I said, I just just can't overcome it because I was damaged by that whole process. And I need to get healed so I can move on. And he said, no, son. (laughs) He said, don't you realize that any obstacle you encounter in your life is simply put there for you to overcome it? It's never put there for you to be stopped by it. It's there for you to overcome it. He said, but you got to get a, a you got to get a prophetic testimony in your mouth because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. There, what you're saying is not a prophetic testimony. I can't. I can't. You need to begin to speak differently and say, through Christ, I can do all things. I'm about to overcome this. He said, you begin to speak with a prophetic testimony and this thing's going to break off of your life. He said, I don't want to hear I can't out of your mouth anymore. Drop that foolishness. 
I said, yeah, yeah, this thing's here for me to overcome it. And when I began to pray with that renewed mindset, God spoke to me. Do you know that when you're walking in the flesh and walking in unbelief, the heavens are shut over you and you can't even hear what God is screaming in your ear? You know what God said to me yesterday after I got off the phone and began to pray over that word? God said the Ph.D. process did not damage you. It prepared you. In that process, I invested everything in you that you need. And now you're free. Man, I just felt free. What is it that you think you're stopped by? What obstacle is standing in your path that you're speaking in agreement with? You need to pick up the testimony of Jesus. That's the spirit of prophecy. And begin to speak over that thing and say, this thing is breaking over my life. It is not going to stop me. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Let me tell you, you are the standard that the spirit of the Lord is raising up against the enemy. But you need to understand the weakness passages in the New Testament because they're there. I'm not saying ignore them. Paul said that he glories in his weakness. He talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says he glories in his tribulations. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Now, that's, doesn't that throw a monkey wrench in everything I'm saying? How are you going to delight in weakness? That sounds so poverty-minded. I delight. If I saw somebody delighting in weakness, I would slap the mess. I would slap the shift out of you. It gets worse. It gets worse. For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults. You ever felt delight over an insult? Somebody insults you and you go, that was wonderful. (sighs) That just set me free. Give me another one. You just released me into a new season. (laughs) Although when you really get established in the truth, it feels kind of good when the devil lies to you. Because you know he's a liar. When the devil says, you ain't going to make it. Thank you. (laughs) We coming up. (laughs) Check it out. For Christ's sake, he says, on behalf of Jesus Christ, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul delights in weakness for one reason. Weakness is an occasion for the power of Christ to overcome. If I was never weak, the power of Christ would have nothing to overcome in my life. Most believers are not getting to the I am strong part. Instead, they're saying, when I am weak, then I am weak. Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm strong, I'm strong. (laughs) My outward man may be wasting away, but inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. My light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So when I walk through weakness, I get excited. I go, oh, the glory is thickening. It's getting heavier. It's getting heavier. I can feel that glory getting heavier. Every moment I'm walking through this trial, the glory is getting heavier. It's a, and that's why I call it a light affliction. Paul received 40 lashes minus one on three occasions and got up and said, it's a light affliction. 
spent a night and a day in the deep and said that was a light affliction. Was beaten with rods and left for dead and got up and said it's a light affliction. You know why he always called it a light affliction? Because he wasn't looking to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. He knew the things that were seen were temporary, but the things unseen are eternal. But he also knew that going through temporary hardship was going to release him into perpetual glory, not simply in the world to come, but in this life. He knew it was going to manifest. And so Paul never commands his people to walk in weakness. Instead, he says in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the whole armor of God that you might take your stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Having put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, taken up the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith with which you can quench all of Satan's fiery darts. Be strong in the Lord. Paul commands you to be strong. He doesn't say be weak. He says be strong. And that means that even when you're walking through your weak, your weakest times, you've got no excuse for not being strong. One of my favorites is Ephesians chapter three, verse 14 and following. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee to the father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love might have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and how deep and how long and how wide is the love of Christ. And to know this love, which surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he says this to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that you could ever ask or imagine to him be glory in the church forever. Amen. Be strong. Be strong. The thing is, weakness, the experience of weakness is a part of the journey. But it's not the destination. You don't come into agreement with obstacles along the journey. You maintain your agreement with the destination. Do you hear me? Things that are a part of the journey are not the destination. I feel weak at times, but I never agree with it. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'm here to tell you today that you're powerful. I'm here to tell you that you're strong. I'm here to tell you that you can't be defeated. I'm here to tell you that you're sons of Abraham and not sons of Job. Many of you have come into agreement with things that are outside of the covenant. The devil has come right into your households and drug off family members and drug off finances and drug off resources. The devil came right into your heart, some of you, and drug off your confidence and took it captive. Let me tell you something. You need to wake up and recognize that Abraham does not decrease. And you are sons and daughters of Abraham. You need to wake up and recognize that that is not your destiny or your destination. And you've got to renounce renounce your agreement with it. You got to renounce your agreement with it and make a decision. I'm not going because that's an antichrist spirit. The antichrist knows that he can't destroy Jesus, but maybe he can destroy his testimony in, in your heart. He knows he can't destroy Jesus and he knows he can't attack who Jesus is, but he can attack who you are. Who do you say that you are? We got the, who did Jesus say he is thing down? But who do you say that you are? You say, well, no, it's all about who Jesus is, not about who I am. Yeah, tell that to the seven sons of Sceva. They knew who Jesus was, but they didn't know who they were. And when they tried to cast the devil out, he said, Jesus, I know Paul, I know, but I don't know you. And they ran out of that place naked and bleeding. That means they took a beating from the devil. And they're sons of Sceva in the body of Christ that the devil has beaten the tar out of because they don't know who they are. Who do you say that you are? I want you to know that you have victory today. And I want you to know, finally, I'll end with this. Your deliverance happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. 
Let me throw this at you real quick and then I'll close up. When God created Adam and Eve, he did not create two babies. He created two fully grown, fully mature individuals. Whatever God creates is always complete. However, he creates within it the power of reproduction. And what is reproduced from that which is created must come to maturity. Now, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, not a reproduction of the old creation. In order to grasp the things that I'm sharing with you today, we must understand that we need a new understanding of spiritual maturity in the body of Christ. Because for too long, we have defined spiritual maturity as how long you've been walking with Christ coupled with how many scriptures you've memorized and how many church services you attend and how faithful you are in them. When there's people who have been walking with Christ for 50 years who are yet infants, the new creation is complete. You are mature the moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ and you received the spirit, the spirit of adoption. And this is key. The spirit of adoption causes you to cry out, Abba, Father, not Daddy. Very important point. I can give you the background of this. Joachim Jeremias in the 1960s wrote an article in which he argued that the word Abba means Daddy. It was, a, it was immediately refuted by every New Testament scholar of any repute. Because it was anachronistic. In today's Hebrew language, Abba means daddy. But 2,000 years ago, it never meant daddy. You know what it meant? Exactly what it says. Abba, father. It wasn't the word used by babies. It was the word used by mature sons. The spirit of adoption doesn't make you babies. It makes you mature sons. The moment you receive it, you cry out, Abba, father. You speak like a mature son. How does Paul define spiritual maturity? Are you not carnal? Are you not mere babes in Christ? Immaturity means you still go back to the life of the flesh after you've already been brought into the spirit. To the degree that you're walking in the flesh, to that degree, you're still carnal. And you're a babe. But you're mature when you learn how to walk in the spirit. And so Paul says, put off the old man which grows corrupt according to its passions and desires. The old man has to grow corrupt. You know, there's baby sinners and then there's full grown sinners. They grew corrupt and it grows corrupt according to its deceitful desires. Why are those desires deceitful? Because you have to be deceived in order to desire them. Adam and Eve were not lusting after the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan had to come deceive Eve before she began to desire what God said, don't touch. And once Satan deceives you into desiring what God says, don't touch, the moment you take it, you've got to have more. But the thrill of what you had runs out, so now you have to have even more than you had the first time. And that growing corrupt begins, that process of growing corrupt. It just becomes more and more and more and more corrupt until you grow up in all things into him who is the tail, not the head. That progression James talks about in James chapter 1 says, when lust has conceived... Lust conceives the moment deception takes over your mind. It gives birth to sin. There's this growing, this maturation process. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So Paul says, put off the old man. It grows corrupt, but put on the new man, which was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He didn't say grow into him. He said, put him on. He was already created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me tell you something. I don't care if you just received Christ today. There is a new man that was created in you to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And that, and here is the truth. The devil wants to convince you that you still need the stuff that you needed back then. But let me tell you something. That new man is complete. 
The Lord is his shepherd and he doesn't want for anything. He's not deceived by the thought that he still needs something that the world can provide. He knows that he has everything in Christ. He's been given fullness in Christ. And that's why he walks free. Amen. You want to walk free from the spirit of the Antichrist? Let me tell you something. Freedom from the Antichrist spirit is not obtained at the altar when oil is put on your head. You don't get it by shaking or falling. You don't get it by barking or rolling. It cannot be imparted to you. It's a decision you got to make in your mind. It's a decision you got to make in your mind. I'm not going to be moved by this anymore. Freedom from the spirit of Antichrist comes the moment that you remember and believe and stand in the truth that you have an anointing from the Holy One and you believe all, you, you know all things. John said, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you do know the truth and there's no lie of the truth. You're going to stand in the truth. He manifested in the flesh. And that means that all of the promise that he's ever given you are getting ready to manifest. It's not enough that they're up in the heavens. It's going to manifest in the physical realm. God is about to begin to manifest the promises that he's given you. And you need to pick those promises back up again. Because many of you are here today and you've been holding on to promises and believing and believing and believing. But God is saying now it's time to manifest those promises. It's time to manifest that strength. You've been believing for strength, but it's time to manifest it. The devil is fighting the manifestation of your promise. You've begun to see things move, but now you've got to fight for it. Now you've got to fight for that spirit of truth, and that's the spirit of Christ. He manifested in a body and put this on for size. He became fully human. Right now, sitting at the right hand of God is a human being who's fully God, fully man, Fully God in his physical body, resurrected physical body, the same kind of resurrected physical body you're going to have. It's sown in dishonor, but raised in honor. Let me tell you your destiny. He manifested in the realm of the physical and destroyed the work of the devil. And then he went to sit at the right hand of God, so that even in heaven, humankind is manifested there. He manifested God on earth and manifested man in heaven. Let me tell you something. He's already gone ahead of you. And in this season, he's going to cause you to begin to manifest the promises. He's going to cause you to begin to manifest the covenant. You got to be like Abraham and say, I'm going to start manifesting the covenant. When the enemy comes in and carries off my stuff, I'm going to war. I'm, I'm calling out the men that have been trained in my house and we're recovering everything. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm telling you you're powerful. I'm telling you that your weakness has been overcome by the strength of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that your failures have been overcome by his success. I'm telling you that your defeats have been overcome by his victory and you are more than conquerors through him who loved you. All right, I got to say this last thing that I'm turning it over. What does it mean that we're more than conquerors? Anybody here compete in any type of martial art or fight fighting? John? Westfall? <laughs> Pastor Christian's going to fly kick you in the throat. <laughs> what do you compete in? You did Taekwondo? 16 years? Wow. Dang, that's pretty legit. You know, Pastor Christian is like a 16th degree black belt in karate. I don't know about that, but he did do karate. All right. Let's say, let's just say Jason here, right? He, he's got like a whole room full of Taekwondo trophies. So let's say Jason gets married to somebody, probably not anyone in this room. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Cross lineage marriages are going to, going to happen and it's the Lord. And so we'll just bless it when God does it. Let's say, let's say Jason over here, he gets married. And by the way, we've got three sons of living hope here that we're very proud to have with us. Pastor Daniel and uh, Chris and Jason. All right, so Jason gets married, and uh, he competes in the, world, in the Taekwondo World Championship match. 
and there's a belt on the line. Now, if you've ever watched a, a real fight before, you know, when it's over, it doesn't really matter who won. Both of the candidates, both of the fighters are messed up, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, they come up to the one that, who won, and they hold up his hand, and, and his face all jacked up, <laughs> eyes all closed. Hey! Yeah! Adrian! I mean, Jason fought toe-to-toe with his opponent, who happened to be the second best in the world. Got jacked up in the process, but walked off that platform with a belt, championship belt. Everybody celebrates. He interview, they interview him, you know, I just want to thank God. And my mom. Hi, mom. And then he goes home to his wife, and he puts the belt around her waist. He took the blows, but she carries the belt. She's more than a conqueror. You know what some of you here are trying to do? You're trying to climb up in the ring with the spirit of Antichrist and fight him. You're not the one who gets in the ring and fights. Somebody already did that. His name is Jesus. He transfers his victory into your account, credited to him as righteousness. Not a righteousness that he paid for. It was credited. Let me tell you that God doesn't sell anything. He only credits. And if you're going to receive any victory from God, you've got to let him credit it to your account. Because this is the key. Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received freely give. God can't let you pay for it because if you pay for it, you're going to charge for it. You will never learn to freely give until you learn to freely receive. You want freedom? It's free. Receive it from the one who paid the price and bears the marks, the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. It's free. You're more than a conqueror. You're strong. The only thing that hasn't caught up with that truth yet is your mind. And so you got to renew your mind and you got to repent of that weakness in your thinking. You got to shift and allow your mind to come into the strength of Jesus Christ. And you got to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And if you do, There's not one fiery dart of the devil that will ever touch you because you're holding up the shield of faith. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we will not do battle with that which has been defeated. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He destroyed the work of the devil. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He triumphed over powers and principalities and made a public spectacle of them. We lift up the victory of Jesus Christ, but we say that it is not simply a victory that's in heaven, but it's a victory that is over all the earth and a victory that manifests a victory that we can see with our eyes, hear with our ears and our hands can handle that victory is that word of life. That word that causes us to be born again, not of corruptible but incorruptible seed through the living and enduring word of God. We receive that life today in Jesus' name and we will walk in that victory. 
And God, I speak over this house today in the name of Jesus, and I speak over every thought, and I take it captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. But those strongholds are not in hell. Those strongholds are in our own minds. We cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We take into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And we say that we're going to obey the truth. And the truth is that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are free. We are strong. And now let the weak say, I am strong. I am strong. Come on, begin to say it. I am strong. I am strong. Come on, I want you to just take a moment. You can just play softly. I want you to just take a moment to renounce your agreement with everything that's outside of the covenant. Come on, just whatever it, what, whatever it is that you've been agreeing with, renounce it right now. I'm not in agreement with that spirit of depression. I'm not in agreement with that spirit of depression that's been binding you. You better renounce your agreement with that thing. That spirit of bulimia. You better renounce your agreement with that thing. Get a prophetic testimony on your lips. Begin to speak differently. In the name of Jesus, I say that you are free. I say that you are strong. You have overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. I write to you young men because you are strong. Because the word of God lives in you. And because you have overcome the devil. Hallelujah. Father, I speak blessing and peace this morning. And I establish in every heart and in every mind the truth. And I, I rejoice in advance because these sons and daughters are going to walk in the truth. And you're going to be obedient to the truth. Hallelujah. I say it's done. It's in the house. No need for an altar. No need for laying hands. It's in the house. You possess it. And you're going to take it as your inheritance. I establish you in it today in Jesus' mighty name. And I speak your blessing over the set man and woman of this house, Father. I lift them up and honor them because they're worthy of honor. And I say peace be unto you. And I speak peace to every concern of your heart. And I give you the promise of God that God will perfect all that concerns you. And I just speak rest and peace over this house. That he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your people within you. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. And it is time for the righteous to shine like the stars in the kingdom of their father. And that's who you are. I speak strength, peace, and encouragement in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you.